this week on Hope for the Broken. The fulfillment of messianic prophecies in Jesus' birth, in his life, and even in his death and resurrection points to one conclusion. Jesus is God. And fulfilling these prophecies, even to the detail of which the prophecies are issued, is not something that could be manipulated by a human being. This is the evidence of the hand of God at work in the fulfillment of these prophecies. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called The Hope of Christmas. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, A Promise Fulfilled. Listen, today we continue a teaching series that we started last week called The Hope of Christmas. And last week we took a look at a promise foretold. Today we're taking a look at a promise fulfilled. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which will serve as our primary text here this morning. We'll be looking at various different scriptures uh, throughout the day today, but, but that'll be our main place uh, of study. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible located in the seat in front of you on the rack below the seat. And if you do not own one, would you just take that as our gift to you for you to have a Bible? We would be thrilled uh, about that. But I want to invite you to turn there uh, with me. How many of you enjoy Christmas so much that it's hard to keep a secret about the gifts that you're giving somebody? Okay, there's several of you. All right, my daughter Eden is, is that way. I mean, she is, her, her love language is, is gifts, giving and receiving of gifts. And she gets so excited this time of year that if she even has a hint as to what you're getting for Christmas, I mean, she will blab it. <laughs> All you have to do is just kind of start asking a little bit of questions. And the next thing you know, you, it's spoiled. You know exactly what you're, what you're going to get. She gets so excited. Well, did you know that God got so excited about his gift of Christmas that he started talking about it over 700 years before it actually happened? God couldn't keep the secret in. He began making promises, giving us clues to be able to recognize when Jesus would come, who is the first gift of Christmas. And so what that did in God's people is it built this sense of hope, this sense of anticipation, the sense of longing, and, and the ability to be able to say, that's the Messiah. And so today we're going to take a look at some of those promises regarding the birth narrative of Jesus. Did you know that there's like over 300 what's called messianic prophecies, Jesus fulfilling all of them. But I want to zoom in today on the birth narrative, the birth prophecies about Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at the indications, we're going to take a look at the incarnation, and then the implications. That's our outline this morning. But let's read the entire passage of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You follow along in your copy of God's Word here this morning. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's begin this promise fulfilled by looking at the indications. The indications. And when I say indications, think of clues. Think of specific prophecies that are indicative of the Messiah's arrival, Jesus's arrival. Like I mentioned, the Old Testament is full of messianic prophecies, but there are prophecies that are so detailed, so uh, specific, that there are even prophecies foretold over 700 years before Jesus would be born, saying how he would be born, where he would be born, and what would take place when he was born. And we could spend months going over each one, but I want to zoom in on five of those birth narrative prophecies. The first prophecy that was made about the coming Messiah is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. In approximately 733 BC, the prophet Isaiah wrote and is recorded in chapter 7 of Isaiah verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, what is a sign? It's an indication. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We saw that that was exactly the case because that very prophecy was what was repeated to Joseph in the Matthew 1 passage that we just read a moment ago. Now, this whole predicament uh, presented Joseph with an internal conflict. We learned that he was a righteous man, a godly man. And here it is, as he is engaged with Mary, before they had come together in marriage, she winds up pregnant. What is he to do? And this internal conflict began to play out, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. And the reason why the scriptures use that term divorce, even though it was an engaged situation, is that in those days, a, an engagement was just as serious as a, of a commitment as marriage was. And so Joseph had this, point, had this plan that I'm not going to put her to shame, but, but we're going to dissolve this relationship until an angel of the Lord quoted and reminded him of a prophecy 700 years before Joseph was even thought of. And that was a light bulb moment for Joseph. And Joseph realizing the indication that what was beginning to take place. And so as he awoke from the dream, he went along with the plan God set in motion. And this situation was an indication that Jesus, this child within Mary, was the promised Messiah. But in addition to the prophecy of the Messiah being born of a virgin, it was foretold that the Messiah would be born as a human male. It's also 730 B.C., before Jesus' birth, the Isaiah uh, prophet foretold that the Messiah would be born male. In chapter 9, verse 6, 
The prophet said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now you can say this isn't really that big of a prophecy, is it? I mean, the prophet and the angel had a 50-50 shot, right? It's either going to be a boy or a girl, right? So take a stab in the dark. Yeah, but remember, this is long before there were sonograms. Long before there were gender reveal parties. This was the very first gender reveal party in which the angel and the prophet announced that the Messiah would have a son. So we've looked at the prophecies that Jesus would be born of a virgin and that he would be born as a human male. The third birth prophecy is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem. Approximately 722 B.C., the prophet Micah foretells of the Messiah's birthplace. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clowns of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This prophecy we see fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, but also in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So I want to look at this. Matthew 2, 1 reads this. Now, after Jesus was born, where? In Bethlehem. That was important. Because I want you to think about the coordination of events that God had to employ in order to get Jesus and Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there to fulfill this prophecy. Luke 2 gives us insight to that. It says, in those days, it just so happened, right, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And it just so happened that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Listen, when it comes to God, there is no such thing as just so happened. This is the sovereignty of God in action, utilizing even pagan leaders, pagan rulers to accomplish his purpose. The purpose was to get Mary to Bethlehem so that Jesus could fill, fulfill Micah 5, 2. So we've looked at the fact that he was born of a virgin, born as a male, born in Bethlehem. The fourth prophecy, the fourth indication is the timing of his birth. The approximate timing of his birth. God gave his people a clue, an indication as to when Jesus would be born. While the exact date was not revealed, God did give them clues to begin to notice that he was achieving such a task. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, it reveals the prophecy that indicates the, the approximate timing of Jesus' arrival. This is what it says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house 
shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Multiple times in this passage, the the prophet mentions the word house. You, You ever remember the church being called the house of God? You remember the the praise song when you were a little kid in my, my father's house, it's a big, big house, lots and lots of rooms, big, big table, lots and lots. Of, that's how you know they were Baptist because they had a big, big table, right? Lots and lots of food. It's a joke. Uh, I know it's still early, uh, but it's in reference to a temple. Now, at this time, when Haggai is presenting this prophecy, the first temple had been destroyed. You remember uh, the Jews were living in exile, and King Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed the temple. And so it was laying in ruins at the time of this this prophecy. So what Haggai is talking about is the second temple. Now, the peace and the treasure of all nations is what? The Messiah, the anointed one, the one that is to come. So what we learn from this prophecy is that Jesus, the Messiah, would visit the second temple. Now, this is huge because the second temple was built by Solomon in approximately 516 B.C. But did you know that the Romans destroyed the second temple in 70 A.D.? So what this is telling us is sometime between the period of 516 B.C. and 70 A.D., the Messiah would be born. We know Jesus was born approximately 3 to 4 BC, and he was on the eighth day. What what happened to him? He was presented in what? The temple, the second temple. This is also the temple that Jesus came and cleansed later on in the gospel accounts, and then ultimately was destroyed. So we have a time frame here between 516 BC and 70 AD that we know that the Messiah was to come. It's a huge clue, a huge indication that Jesus fulfilled that. But greater clarity on the timing of the Messiah was another prophecy provided by the prophet Malachi. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Malachi writes, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, that's key, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, the mentioning of Elijah, the prophet, preceding the coming day of the Lord is the fact that a messenger would prepare the way for this Messiah. We know this messenger to be none other than John the Baptist. And there's certain clues about John the Baptist's ministry that points to the fact that he was indeed this very uh, messenger. In Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, it says, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, later to become John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will what? Turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, to their Father. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And what else will he do? He will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So on the timetable of prophetic events, 
You have to have the construction of the second temple, and you have to have the coming of the second Elijah, which we know to be John the Baptist, all before the destruction of the second temple in AD 70. You you see the, the time frame that God gives us 700 years prior to its fulfillment. So the Messiah would would visit this temple, and that's exactly what happened. Jesus was born of a virgin, born as a male, born in Bethlehem, and at the right time. The last messianic birth prophecy we're going to look at today is the prophecy that great people were to visit him. Great people were to visit this Messiah. This is prophecy that was written by King Solomon, and it is recorded in Psalm chapter 72, verses 10 through 11. Look at what that says. It says, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. And may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Well, we know exactly who this is talking about, don't we? The magi that came from the east. Now, more than likely, these magi did not make it to Jesus until he was a toddler. Don't you think about that for a moment? They see a star in the sky, right? And they begin their journey. There's no boarding passes in these days to get on a private jet and make it to Bethlehem, right? More than likely, they arrive at Jesus when he's about two years old. And do you remember what these magi did? They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, just like the psalm predicted. And guess what else these kings did? They bowed down and they worshiped him. Fulfillment of prophecy of old. Now, just a little side note about these kings. We make a lot of assumptions this time of year about these kings, right? How many kings do we typically think were there, right? Three, right? There's the song, We Three Kings, right? And we sing that. But nowhere in the scriptures do we find that there were only three kings that visited Jesus. But what makes us think that is that they brought three different gifts, But it's not to say that there weren't multiple kings that came. And nevertheless, they came. They fulfilled prophecy even in the way in which they worshiped him. And we've talked through the indications, the prophecies about Jesus' birth. Now I want to turn to the incarnation. The incarnation. The fulfillment of messianic prophecies in Jesus' birth, in his life, and even in his death and resurrection points to one conclusion. Jesus is God, period. Jesus is not a God or like God. He himself is God. And fulfilling these prophecies, even to the detail of of which the prophecies are issued, is not something that could be manipulated by a human being. You understand. This is the evidence of the hand of God at work in the fulfillment of these prophecies. In In my study this week, I came across an article that talked about the mathematical possibility of someone fulfilling messianic prophecies like Jesus did. There's a mathematician named Peter Stoner. He calculated the probability of one person fulfilling just 48 of these prophecies. You know what the possibility is? One in 10 followed by 157 zeros. In other words, it's impossible. Like, like, we don't even have a category for a number that is 157 zeros behind it. 
I mean, I know our national debt is getting close, but we don't understand that number, right? We can't even begin to comprehend that kind of possibility. The, the conclusion is just filling for 48 is impossible. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them, over 300 of those. Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate. How many of you, whenever you go to a Mexican restaurant, you order carne asada? Anybody order that? Okay. Anybody had that? Okay, the word carne, meat, flesh. Same word where we get the word incarnate. Jesus is not carne asada, you understand, right? He is God in the flesh. God clothed as a human. That's what we're talking about when we use the word incarnation. So it's a theological term, incarnation. And it is very different than the term reincarnation, you understand. I remember when I was a kid, my pastor growing up was talking about the incarnation of Jesus, and I got home and I told my parents, he's lost it. Brother Lou has lost it. They said, why? They said, he's talking about Jesus being reincarnated. And my dad's like, no, 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 it's not reincarnation, it's incarnation. means the becoming of, the taking on of flesh. St. Athanasius said this about incarnation. It is a divine manifestation to us. Jesus is a divine manifestation of God to us in a very real tangible way in the flesh. Now, understanding this allows us to see the importance of believing in the virgin birth of Jesus. And let me tell you why. Because God could have certainly have just had Jesus appear without being born, right? But if Jesus appeared and had no birthday, then we would have a very difficult time understanding that he was also human, right? Like how can you be human and just all of a sudden appear? That's like Area 51 weird stuff, right? And so But then also, if Jesus was 100% man that became God, then we would have a hard time understanding his deity. But you see, the virgin birth marries God's deity, his divinity, and his humanity so that he is 100% God and 100% man. Here's why that's important. Two reasons why that's important. Number one, there are studies suggesting that Christians, people who identify as Christians, are abandoning the belief in a virgin birth. You can't. It's absolutely essential. It's essential to understanding that God, that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. The, the other reason why it's important to hold on to this is because it allows us to see, yes, he has a human side. He identifies with us. But yes, he is more than human. He is God in the flesh. And so you see that helps us understand the wisdom of God in utilizing the miracle of the virgin birth. So we've talked about the promise fulfilled, see the indications and the incarnation. Finally, let's talk about the implications. Listen, the fact that Jesus fulfilled all prophecies and the fact that he is God in the flesh has profound implications for us today. If you're going to believe all this is true, I mean, it has profound implications implications for our lives today. I want to give you three implications that all this means. First, God is willing to enter into our mess. 
God is willing to enter into our mess. Think about it for a moment. The way God became flesh was in the humblest and messiest of circumstances. Of all the places and ways God could have chosen for Jesus to come into the world, he chose a lowly manger with teenage parents bundled up in a stable. We'll talk about a mess. God entered that mess. Listen, the hope of Christmas is that if God was willing to enter into that mess, he's willing to enter into your mess and mine. I sometimes think that we have this belief in our head that the enemy puts there that somehow we've made such a mess of our lives that there's nothing that God wants to do with us. And we begin to believe that narrative. Listen, if Christmas says anything, beloved, it screams that God wants to enter into the mess that you have created. Praise God. The, The prerequisite in coming to Christ is not getting your life together. The prerequisite to coming to Christ is to realize I'm a mess and I need God to enter into my mess. I am here to tell you, you are not too far gone. There is nothing that you have done. You may say, Pastor, you don't know what I have done that God would love me. Oh, I know enough that God would move heaven and earth to give us his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in your place. That's enough for me to to believe that he's desired to enter into my mess. See, the question is not if God is willing to enter in, it's are we willing to invite him in? That's the question. All God is desiring from you is a simple invitation, a simple humbling, a simple bowing of the knee to say, God, I need you. Jesus, come into my life. Be the Savior of my world. And you know what happens when he enters into our mess? He starts cleaning us up. And it's not always fun. not always easy. Sometimes it's very painful. But he's very good at it. Listen, the truth that Jesus came into the world and is the Messiah and the truth of the incarnation is proof positive that God desires to enter into our messy areas of our lives. The second implication of the birth of Jesus is that God is with us. We sing about that earlier, right? Emmanuel, God is with us. In one of the prophecies that we've already read in Isaiah, It is said that that this son shall bear the name Emmanuel. And in Matthew's account, he gives us clarity on that. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, the hope of Christmas is that when things seem hopeless, when things seem dark, when things seem impossible, when things seem lonely, God is with us. But in addition to the promise of Christmas being God with us, there's so much more to it. Remember when Jesus was teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit? He said, it is good for you that I leave. Because when I leave, there's a helper that's coming. And he says this, he says, not only will he be God with you forever, but he will be God in you. Let's look at it together. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Jesus is saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Listen, I know the holidays highlight the fact that there are many things that are weighing us down. Many worries of this world, many burdens that we carry. And while I don't know what that thing is for you, I do know that if you are in Christ, not only is God with you, he's in you. He's right there in the middle of it. Powerful implication of the coming of Jesus. Not only is God willing to enter our mess, beloved, he is willing to be with us and in us. That's profound. But then the third implication of Christmas being the true Messiah is the fact that God answers prayers. God answers prayers. I want you for a moment, to the best of your ability, to place yourselves in the sandals of the Israelites in 700 B.C. Men, women, and children living in exile as captives taken by foreign lands. So desiring deliverance Can you imagine the heartache that they felt? Can you imagine what their prayers were like? Oh God, come rescue us. And for over 700 years, can you imagine the millions and billions of prayers offered to God over the course of that many generations? Oh God, would you move? Oh God, would you come? Oh God, would you show up? Oh God, are you there? Oh God, will you come through on your promises? Have you ever prayed for something for so long that you begin to wonder, is God ever going to answer my prayer? Listen, when you come to the end of your rope, God shows up and answers your prayer. God answers prayer. And Christmas is proof that God answers the prayers of his people. But can I tell you something? The way Jesus came was not the exact answer that the people had been praying for. And what often happens in our lives is God answers our prayer. He just does so differently than you anticipate. But he still answers your prayer. Don't stop praying. Never stop praying. This time of year should serve as a reminder that God answers prayers. Even the most heartfelt, gut-wrenching, long-lasting prayers. God desires to answer your prayers. The indication, Jesus is the Messiah. The incarnation provide profound implications for us. Wonderful, hopeful is Christmas. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 
or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.